Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to One on One with me, Carlo Sullivan. The podcast where I talk to friends, colleagues and familiar faces all about ones. From one moment that changed your life and one song that makes you dance to one guilty pleasure. Joining me this week is fertility coach, therapist and my friend Helena Tuberly. We talked about educating the masses about fertility, a person's need for 12 hugs a day and why sex is still a taboo topic in Ireland. This is One on One. Helena Tuberty, I'm delighted to have you as my third guest here on One and One. How are you? Delighted to be here. Thank you, Carl. Um, so me and Helena actually met last year. I was doing an internship um, with News Talk Radio and we met by chance totally. Um, she was doing an interview on the Keir Kelly show and I was, I think I was bring, walking you out and we just kind of, I was like, this, this is, she gets it kind of, because I listened to the interview and I was like, she's a bit of me now, so... A couple of weeks later, it pushed on and we interviewed you again on the show and I was heading off to Budapest. Oh, and I made you tea, yeah. And, um, but I was heading off to Budapest and you told me where to go and stuff like that. But long time away since that happened and COVID hit. But look, we're back better than ever here on One on One and I'm delighted to have you here. It's just, it's great to see you again as well, actually. It's absolutely brilliant. And as I said, I was very struck with you because, again, making me tea. Obviously, you're my friend for life. <laughs> yeah. And just the sense of the way how you engage with me, how interested you were and how very switched on. And of course, all the feedback from everybody I have said on coming on this <laughs> show with you um, has been just like, oh, right, great. Dying to hear this. Yeah. So, you know, it is great that you're opening up this subject for discussion to, you know, uh, inform, to educate, yeah. to maybe even entertain a little yeah. bit. Well, I suppose even um, you're a fertility coach and therapist by trade and actually nurse and midwife, which I found out recently. Um, but I was telling my friends and they, I was like, yeah, she's a fertility coach. She's like, it's something I've never kind of, they've never kind of dove into and they're very excited. Um, so just a little bit of a format. We'll ask, we'll go through eight questions all about ones as we're on one on one and we'll have a few quick fire questions at the end of the episode Helena will have the opportunity to ask me one question so Helena Tuberty one job you'd love if you weren't a fertility coach that's so hard to pin down because if I I was wondering about you know sticking with fertility because I'd be in research obviously because I read research studies so you don't have to. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'm really fascinated by is fluid dynamics, how fluid flows, turbulence, okay. dams, blood flow, lymph flow, oh, yeah. um, you know, ejaculate flow, oh. all of these things. So it all kind of comes back to fertility. But yeah, I think I'd have loved um, if I had been able to do any type of maths, perhaps, and I really can't, to explore something in that sort of engineering in, line. Yeah, engin- like a lot of my friends are involved with like kind of mechanical and stuff now, but fluid is something I've never... It's because it can go into, you know, sort of biodynamics and bioengineering and everything. Um, The only slight complication would have been, I guess, that obviously I can't add two and two. So (laughs) I think there might be slight maths angle. Yeah, I'm not great at the maths either. Um, But you are a fertility coach and therapist by trade. How did you get into that? I didn't mean to. Totally accidentally. I was happily involved actually just around the corner here I was uh, a manager and a salesperson for a medical surgical supply company permanent pensionable job very respectable loving it and um, I was always good at sales I really could have sold some to the Arabs (laughs) and um, in fact actually in in a course I actually did 
we were playing roles and I actually did sell two camels and 100 tonnes of sand. sand to somebody who was purporting to be said Arab and had great fun doing that. Um, yeah, so basically, I suppose, uh, as, um, you know, a nurse and a midwife, I was meeting an awful lot of people in my late 20s who were older than me yeah. and trying to conceive and having issues and relationship problems. And I come from my family kind of, you know, um, veterinary background, pharmacy background, a lot of medics. So my thing was, well, are you doing this? Are you doing that? Can you do more of this, less okay. of this? Have you tried this? And people were getting pregnant and I became the go to person. And then I completely lost the plot and I did a lot of bodywork training because I love getting massage. I naively went and learned to do it and I reflexology. Hate massages. Do you? I'm not a fan at all. Now maybe oh, really? I haven't had a good one yet. Oh, I tell you, we'll have to, we'll have to see about that, won't we? I just, yeah. I've never, I feel a little bit uncomfortable getting them, but maybe I need to like go to like a proper like five star spa or something and get one. But then they're not. It's all. it's interesting because I think you're you're dead right. I mean, I'd met uh, the importance of touch as a special care baby unit midwife. Mm-hmm where teeny tiny preemies, you know, two and a half pounds or whatever, they need to be touched. And we used to actually, they used to live on little sheepskins because they were lovely and soft and warm. And you would actually be massaging with your baby fingers and touching them because touch is so important. Mm. And that's why I think with COVID now, you know, the um, Virginia Satir was an incredible family therapist in the States. And she said, you actually need 12 hugs a day for good health. Eight really? for maintenance and four for survival. <laughs> Eight for maintenance. Just well, I actually do. I'm such a hugger. Yeah. So you like, do like touch. Well, yeah, See? I, I am. A, but would you I... like it with your clothes on? <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll get into that later on. Um, no, but I, I do miss hugging when it comes to COVID. Like you miss like even seeing your family in town and you're like, oh, geez, I can't even like go near them for it fear is, someone would judge you. It is tough. It is tough. Yeah. So, you know, that sense of getting involved in touch and doing body work. Then, I, you know, my office was in Donnybrook where I was living at the time. And there was a, literally a warning out against me that, you know, if you're going near Helena, be careful because, you know, you don't want to get pregnant. And it took me a little while to kind of cop on that people really kind of needed this because I thought mm. like everybody knows. But I suppose I've been doing a lot of sort of sex ed for adults, teaching them about fertility. Yeah. That's what, that's my, my role now. You know, I'm a therapist, but I call myself a coach because it is very much healthy people, yeah. how to improve it, what they could be doing better, more of, less of, and educating them about their own bodies about even about libido and mining mm. libido and relationships. So it's a whole, you know, individually tailored. Yeah, it's not just one thing. It's, it's not like painting by numbers no. or anything like <laughs> it. You know, it really and that's what makes it so fascinating. I meet people from all walks yeah. of life because fertility issues and I don't like the word infertility because it's really okay. subfertility usually. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it really doesn't it crosses all all uh, lines, all barriers. It doesn't matter what you have, who you're with, what you're doing, nothing. It affects everybody. And I suppose, you know, I was an early adapter, adopter of tech in the sense of, um, you know, using online consults. So I have clients from the UK, States and France. Um, So, you know, just different people's lives, different people's ideas, different people's upbringings, and, you know, how stuff in the past can kind of haunt you a little bit. Yeah. And do you find with an older generation, they haven't had as good an education on the topic of sex because in schools and stuff, it wasn't even touched. It wasn't like. Yeah, it was mostly preventive. Yeah. You know, boys are dirty yeah. or they'll get you pregnant. So stay away from them. Good girls, you know, type of thing. But I am still incredibly surprised that, that there is so little knowledge of actual fertility as, you know, part of your Mm. general health, of sex as part of well-being, health, functioning, as being a really normal activity. It's still got a little bit of mystique. Okay, I mean, most people are educated totally via porn. Yeah. So unrealistic expectations. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And bless Google, it can be great, but it can be a bit of a rabbit hole, a little bit misleading (laughs) and a bit scary sometimes, you know. But the sense that um, I think being aware of fertility as something that it's not just the two months before you decide to conceive. 
it's part of your general health. Yeah. And in fact, you know, for the guys, um, fertility does decline from the age of 35. And it also is, you know, fertility issues or erectile dysfunction issues yeah. can be markers of cardiac health. So it, it's very much part of your it's well-being, all, all yeah. into your life. So it's not a separate entity, really. Um, we spoke a lot about fertility there. And even coming onto the podcast, I was telling a lot of my female friends, oh, I'm having Helene Tumberdott, and they were all so excited. So we'll, I decided to throw this question in there just so the listeners would enjoy it. Um, one thing that women should do to increase their fertility. Get better sperm. <laughs> And that means really that women bear the brunt of everything of to do fertility, with fertility, yeah. generally speaking. They will go to the GP and get tested. They will, you know, ring up the fertility clinic. They'll take the next steps. They'll take all the meds. Okay. It's the only branch of medicine in which women are surrogates for what can be a man's issue. Okay, Men yeah. are the Cinderella's, bless them. <laughs> They're under-investigated, under-diagnosed, under-treated. Yeah. And, you know, women protect them because, you know, the thing of virility, masculinity, yeah. you know, the sense of I do not want to put any burden on this guy because yeah, he'll feel lesser. This poor man. I'll take it all. And women are wonderful. And I know guys' egos are so fragile <laughs> that we must mind them. And 1950s leg pop. Um, but the sense that really, I suppose, for women to realise, you know, as a couple, you are what we call, to use a term, yeah. a dyad. So a couple okay. is a couple. And that sense that usually with fertility issues or delay in conceiving or an increased time to pregnancy is how we would describe okay. it, that it sometimes is just a little bit of an issue on either side. So if you sort of address each one, you'll have people getting pregnant very happily. So it's not always... Not the, always the, the women. The women, and it's primarily people think it is. Yes. Um I'm going a bit off the rails, but is there something men could do? Oh, there's an awful lot men can do. Count? I suppose, you know, the sense of uh, binge drinking, okay, uh, yeah. you know, smoking, staying up late, uh, doing, you know, too much exercise or none yeah. at all, being couch potatoes, um, you know, the not getting outdoors enough, not getting enough A, fresh air, as your grandmother told you, not enough light to stimulate the pituitary, yeah. not being aware of what they're eating. And of course, now we are very overloaded with chemicals, both, you know, in the air. If you're, you know, near a busy street, yeah. you're getting a lot of lead and mercury um, and all the lotions, potions. If you consider the amount of chemicals in your bathroom cupboard yeah, or under the sink, under the sink yeah, I was and say. you know your clothes going to the cleaners uh, there's a vast amount of chemicals that your grandparents were not exposed to they have an effect and of course we know the plastics okay, the yeah. phthalates all of these they're endocrine disruptors so they interfere with the making of sperm and if you consider that really compared to a now I love them we all love them they're beautiful compared to pigs <laughs> a pig produces about a litre of an ejaculate a guy, a liter. yeah, up to a litre, <laughs> a half litre, a litre. It's, it's massive. Uh, whereas a bloke, it's kind of like the teaspoon, teaspoon yeah. and a half, or as that lovely group 10cc, uh, which was very ambitious of them. So, you know, <laughs> humans are actually fairly unfertile, generally yeah. speaking. You only have in a month, uh, in a cycle, uh, about a 21% chance of conceiving if you're having massive amount of free range sex. Mm. And you're under 34 and you're at it like rabbits. So, you know, it, it's quite little. So compared to others in the animal kingdom, and we are part, we, yeah, are, we mammals. are mammals. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, guys can do an awful lot. And I suppose being aware of it earlier and kind of making, you know, it seems to be still, uh, you know, that guys are a little bit loath. It's it, kind of like it. It'll be grand. Yeah. Sure, we'll be fine. We'll be the one. They over and study show they overestimate the efficacy of their IVF. We'll be yeah, the 20, we'll 21% who actually get pregnant with an IVF cycle. And we know we'll be fine. We don't need to go there in the first place. So I think, guys, for starters, I think getting the idea that their fertility is finite, they need to be actually settling for somebody. Uh, you know, the kind of feeling of that you can have you know, kind of serial monogamy, yeah. the, the kind of Kellogg's version that uh, in needing to commit is if you do want a family, get to it, get to it a lot earlier. And, you know, you're not going to find Mrs. Perfect or Miss Perfect. 
and it's yeah, kind of just make perfect. it happen. Yeah. Um, you know, the average length of a marriage is what now? About nine, Thick. ten years. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, stats aren't great. So the sense of, um, you know, raising a family together, yeah. uh, you need to get going earlier. And women, you know, not being left to be the ones to ask the questions, you know, going out together, you know, dating. Mm. Um, I was actually talking to Mairead, the matchmaker. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mairead Lockman and you know we're saying about women in their 30s finding guys and guys in their 50s and 60s looking for women and you know the kind of it's it sounds really cliche and I think it's been parodied a lot but the guy's kind of thinking well I only want to see somebody I'll only date somebody who's kind of around 25 and you know <laughs> Mairead's saying well do you know what we need to kind of adjust your expectations a little bit here um, there's somebody for everybody we hope yeah. but you know the kind of feeling that uh, you know deciding kind of what you want in life and putting your mind to it and doing it sooner rather than later. You know, although we are living longer, each stage of life is being expanded. You know, psychologists are saying now that people are staying in a juvenile stage, uh, whereas before people would be going working 16 to 18 or into college, out of college, into a job. It's now 26, 27, 28, yeah. 30. Well, I see it a lot more now. People are like getting taking longer to get into relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, d I suppose we people wouldn't have known that it's better off to get a, get into it earlier and they're going to be educated now, hopefully. Yes. I mean, it, um, it's not a doom gloom situation either. I mean, if you're generally healthy, reasonably active, um, you know, living a reasonably clean life. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying you're not allowed to ever have a glass of wine or a shot again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It is It is really no, about a, kind of a, it's Goldilocks. Really. Even I see it a lot amongst like my age group and like lads. Oftentimes I hear stories then come from my girlfriends that, oh, this lad wasn't able to finish the job or he wasn't able to get it. And it's because a lot of the time due to drink or due to alcohol, like, and the lad then is embarrassed, but then you're like, well, you're the only one to blame. Exactly. And, you know, the erectile dysfunction or a temporary erectile dysfunction is incredibly common. And as you know, I'm a hypnotherapist. Yeah. And, you know, in a session or two, uh, that can be like very, very easily sorted. And it's it's really lovely because, you know, seeing somebody kind of all relaxed and happy. <laughs> but the kind of, you know, the kind of the background stuff, you know, it can be an indication of future cardiac issues if okay, it's yeah. a, a continuum. So I always do recommend if it's going on over time with different people that, you know, a GP visit. GP check I'm out. all about research based, sensible medical care and, you know, Fantastic. what you can do yourself. Hopefully so. a few lads and ladies will have been educated there. Now, Helena, one moment that changed your life. I was fairly newly married. I was 25 years old. My, that sounds so well. young. My mother was made at 25, yeah, so yeah. Gosh, you know, it seemed, it seemed quite mature at the time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think it was something like six or nine months after we got married, my husband had a, a brain hemorrhage, which is kind of like a stroke. It was a, a malformation uh, yeah, yeah. that just burst. So that kind of changed a trajectory. We were back in Ireland on holidays it was kind of the, the late 80s. Things oh, yeah, were yeah. not so amazingly bright. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were on our way to London. I'd been working, we'd been working down in Plymouth. Uh, I'd been a midwife down there, which is lovely. It's like really cool, the midwife stuff. And we're going to head to London for the bright yeah. lights and a bit more and everything. So suddenly we were back in Dublin. Oh. Uh, no money, no nothing. It was, uh, and he made a fantastic recovery. But it was slow, it was long, and there was a lot of, you know, the sequelae of acquired brain injury and basically feck all by way of support back then. It yeah, has changed it's hugely. Changed. It's massively great now. So that kind of really did change everything. Um, and I suppose it, it let, you know, I saw how well he, uh, you know, got himself back learning to read, you know, everything that had to be done. And for myself, I kind of realised that, you know, women are a bit like tea bags, fling them into hot water and they'll kind of, you know, that's when you really see what happens. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd had to fight for him to even get treatment. Um, I remember going to see a matron of a hospital and saying, you know, this guy needs to have something done. I had to fight the VHI who wouldn't pay for treatment in the UK. Um, the our government wouldn't pay because we had VHI. So, you know, the sense yeah. of having to be I out there and advocating, which I would actually, believe it or not, have been 
Fairly introverted, shy and sweet back in those days. Never you, Helena. <laughs> <laughs> never since, Carl, never since. <laughs> and did you, did it change your perspective and outlook on life, I suppose, kind of? It, it changed me a lot because I realised, I suppose, you know, the usual thing. Who sticks around? Who kind of, you know, just kind of gets terribly busy in their own lives? And the sense of, I suppose, living with an awful lot less, um, you know, expectations were, you know, lowered. Um, it did give me time to live in um, my father-in-law's house and get to know him. And he was oh, yeah. amazing. So that was, you know, there was lovely stuff. And then there was a sense of being in a city I didn't want to be in where all my friends had gone away. Dublin was really bleak. And then being there when they started coming back and we started getting decent coffee, people coming back from New York, <sighs> sandwiches. And, you know, there was a really big lift then into the 90s and then deciding, OK, I've got to do something. So setting up my own business. And I was laughing because I was schlepping through um, the Phoenix Park at a rate of knots this morning. <laughs> and um, I used to go up there to one of our presidents and a really beat up old car. And, you know, I'd be greeted by all the army people and people popping up from bushes and the sense of the sound of my exhaust would wake the dead. <laughs> and, you know, being I had really exciting times and working, you know, in, in various studios with, mm. you know, some of our major recording artists. So it was really exciting then. Um, so the sense of you've got to do it yourself and you will always find people who help you, support you, get you. And, yeah. you know, it's like you do not kind of linger too long on your own issues, you know. Did you find the fact that you, OK, you went through this with your husband and you had to fight to get him help, then you kind of came good. The other side, it was a kind of good karma almost for you. I suppose you could say that um, in, in ways. I mean, I'm certainly, as you know, far from, you know, re having any religious beliefs. And yeah. I think that was a great help being a second generation atheist. So I had no expectations. And I believe that, you know, it's, it's by each other we live. Yeah, you know, we're oh. on this planet and it's about, you know, what can you do? Even something like a quick smile or, you know, a like on social media yeah. can lift somebody. Do oh, you know? definitely. Yeah. Like even I see it so much amongst like even my grandmother, God rest her, she, her sisters are all on social media and she'd be my great auntie. But they're always commenting on my things. And I'm like, they just love being able to interact they may be an hour and a half away, but they're able to talk to you through social media. And I think it's great. It's been absolutely incredible. And we didn't have that back then. We didn't even have mobile phones. It was yeah. unbelievably bleak, actually. It's very, you know, people very... could complain that everybody's on their phone all the time. I love all this tech. Yeah. I think it is fantastic. And I, I love the fact that you're doing this podcast that's going to reach so many people and help them mm. and get them thinking, get them questioning, get them query, get them Hopefully. connecting. Yeah, of <laughs> course it is. Um, yeah, I like that. That was great. Um, so uh, recently enough, maybe I think it's a month ago now. Is she a month old? Your it's granddaughter? Two Anna. months. <laughs> two months, really. <laughs> so uh, Helena's daughter, Suzanne, had a baby there about two months ago. And she's absolutely gorgeous. And I saw the pictures on Instagram. But Selena, one thing you love about being a mother slash grandmother? Well, it really, I suppose, is incredible to watch my daughter gracefully and naturally take to mothering. She's an incredible mm. mother and, you know, absolutely at ease, you know, way ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm actually blown away. And it, of course, it's incredibly lovely to get all the cuddles and the yeah. snuggles and those. And I mean, that's what, you know, as I said to people, to bring my work home with me. Yeah. <laughs> because usually actually with my clients, what I do is, um, you know, before this COVID thing is, you know, at the end of their pregnancy, six week checkup when they can be feeling a bit kind of, you know, okay. a bit uncertain. Yeah. I would usually bring them back for a free reflexology. So a nice little treatment okay, yeah. and a debrief about the birth. And hopefully back in the day, I used to occasionally maybe have a little snuggle as well. See the baby. See the evidence. And um, so, <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. fine work. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of, you know, it really is. It's wonderful. You know, I suppose the feeling of continuity, it's something that I want for every single client of mine is to be able to enjoy being a parent, being, you know, part of a progression and then to enjoy the grandparent thing, yeah. thing which is lovely because, you know, you kind of wave goodbye, you go home and you have a whole night's sleep. <laughs> It's, it's crazy, amazing. It? <laughs> no 4 a.m. baby feeding. Oh, great. Um, you love to see it. But are you going to be granny or nana? I'm going to be sir. No, no, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, I would say that this incredibly bright that uh, Ella Rose is going to find her name for me. But at the moment, because I had the most amazing grandmother, I really had. She was she was a doctor. She was into everything. She was hilarious. She had a car. We went everywhere together and she was from West Cork. So the accent you could cut with a knife. Really bright. She knew every cousin to within about five, you know, fifth cousin ones removed. And and she regarded me as a sad Dublin Jackie. You know, it's like (laughs) not much you can do there. And she my grandmother taught me. I mean, when I was I didn't I, I dropped out of school, as you know, I dropped out of school at the age of four and a bit. I didn't like the nuns and um, fair enough I became a beach bum um, because I was living oh, over yeah. the beach at that stage and I used to you know get bottles you know the, the return yeah. bottles and stuff I had two years of bliss till I was six and my grandmother discovered that I didn't know the alphabet I couldn't count <laughs> couldn't do anything so she taught me how to read and I think it was something like six weeks she had me reading David Copperfield really and she taught me a bit of French. She taught me how to make a roux. She taught me how to, you know, oh. knit and do a few things. And you know something? I actually could have just done, that would have been fine for the rest of my life. You would have got on fine. Actually. I would have got on fine. A bit of tech to bit add to room. later on. So, yeah, I must say that I really do, you know, I, I love I love the whole um, sense of that continuity. And she was grandma to me. So I, at the moment, am grandma. Okay. And I'm sure that will change in no time flat. Yeah. Well, I know. So I, my boyfriend's um, nephew, his great grandmother would still be alive. So she's called Gigi, great grandmother. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> yeah. um, I like that one. Yeah, yeah, um, that's really lovely. But babies are just fantastic. And I love even seeing like I've seen so much more younger people my age now and they're like posting pictures of like scans. And I'm like, wow, they're only like, but I think it's great. And there is something, you know, the sense of uh I suppose we really did get into um, a cultural shift that, you know, you really were too young to have babies yeah. uh, until you kind of hit 30, 34, 35. And, you know, as a midwife, you know, back in the day, we used to be signing off on charts. And it was, you know, if somebody was over the age of 26, they were an elderly prima gravida. That's oh elderly. Primi means the first time yeah. to have a baby. And, you know, it's it's no bad thing to be having kids in your 20s. Your body is really, really, you know, adapts mm. and the recovery rate is astonishingly quick, you know, literally bouncing right back. And that's something I help people with as well. You know, stuff to do afterwards, to have the fourth trimester, to yeah. be able to enjoy it, to be able to recover enough to be tuned in and to enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, it's great to see. Helena. One thing about sex and relationships that needs to be normalised in Ireland. I suppose the thing that needs to be normalised about sex in Ireland is that it happens and that human beings are mammals and primates and it's perfectly normal. And whatever way you want it or who you want it with or when you (laughs) want it, it's like consenting, happy days, away you go. My thing would be that because we are educated by porn and because it's still a little bit occult or still a little bit either very showy or very sort of hidden or, you know, gets boring very quickly, (laughs) that people forget that it's, you know, part of general health, that we should have walk-in STI clinics all over the gaff because from the minute kids start fooling around, the chlamydia is going back and forth and doing doing woeful damage to tubes, fallopian tubes. And, you know, the epididymis, the kind of, you know, the miles of tubing inside the scrotum is massive. So I do think normalising it, talking about it, realising that it's not always, as I say, rose petals up to a four poster bed. You know, there's certainly not a whole, you know, a war. I always talk about the wardrobe, you know, one end, the maggoty boots and the um, welly boots and the sort of heading out for a walk at the other end, ball gowns and negligence and all the dressy up stuff. And it's like it can be so rich, so varied, so constantly evolving and developing Mm. in a relationship or over many relationships. It's a vital part of human well-being, human functioning, human bonding and it really does help yeah. to achieve pregnancy. <laughs> but like, even with growing up, if something comes on the telly, it's often like, even when you get into your teenage years, it's often still switched over. And I hear that a lot amongst Irish people. But surely, I think as younger people now become parents, 
they'll know better in a way. I hope so, but the it's the cultural um, ingraining of it is it really seems to be quite massive, Carl. And much to my surprise, I thought there'd be a whole sort of Swedish liberation kind of feeling. But we're not even good with nudity. You know, in a house, yeah. everybody's always kind of covered up and, you know, changing on a beach and stuff and every, you know, the Irish thing. Changing on the beach. The changing in the, you know, the changing rooms in a, a swimming pool. Everybody's kind of, you know, behind towels, sort of all scrabbling there. And it's like, honestly, we've seen bits before. Just yeah. get on with it. So I think... I have if, one, you have one. Exactly. If kids get on uh, to, you know, have it normalised, to know that periods happen, to see you know, pads, tampons, tampons mm. of any other variety in a bathroom and that, yeah, 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 this is what you do. This is kind of just basic hygiene uh, rather than this hidden thing. Um, and that little boys, and I think a lot of women like uh, Laura Dowling, fabulous pharmacist, doing great educational stuff with her little boy. She's got three of them and Avril Flynn as well. Uh, you know, bringing up kids to know that it is perfectly normal to have different bodies and, you know, your body yeah. is your body and it's your own. You can, you know, the boundaries and all of the health stuff as well. So Deadly I think that, you know, well, yeah. consent, of course, is, is is vital. Confidence, being assertive, yeah, being body confident as well. Yeah. And actually it was, um, who was it in the Indo? Um, she wrote just uh, yesterday and it was a really good piece in the magazine. And it was saying that rather than body positivity, I have an amazing body, it is body neutrality they yeah. will look and say hi how are you lovely to see it's you we not. don't say oh my god you've lost 10 pounds you look amazing that it is you know long ago it used to be a thing that it was really rude to make personal remarks so you never said yeah. oh, i just love your shoes you know it was kind of like hello how are? and then maybe somebody might say well do you know what i got these what do you think and you then okay. say well actually they're amazing in whatever way but yeah i think normalizing um sex sexuality um and the fact that, you know, it is very important to mind your sexual health and, yeah. you know, that there is a mental health aspect there as well. Yeah, the SDI clinics you mentioned, they're, like they're great on college campuses, but oh, I think normalising the idea of casual sex as well is great and people can like go out and explore and find yourself. But you'd have to couple that with walk-in SDI clinics because the fee of €25 Euro for some people. That's a huge amount. For, on students' campus, it's not. Oh, no. You know the sense that we should be begging students to go in and yeah, by giving and them credits, it's kind of like, you know, lunchtime pop in. <laughs> um, it's so simple to do. And the tests really are relatively inexpensive. And for well-being right across a person's life, it really, it's a worthwhile public health investment. Yeah. So I, I'm actually, I hadn't realised that yeah, there was charges. Yeah, but last time I, we were, well, I was just transition year or something or sixth year when we were studying relationships and sexuality. I have studied journalism as my forte since, but yeah, I think it was in and around that. And it's just amazing because often people are given out, not given out to, but it's kind of shunned upon casual sex and the whole idea of that in college and stuff like that. Is it? Well, not from a student's point of view yeah. but from say an outsider's point of view it's like oh it's like keep that to yourself but I think it's, yeah. it's perfectly normal for people to be going and having different relationships and but couple that with a little bit of Absolutely. health checkup and certainly you know and it's th great to be getting a health checkup I think it is and you know um, to take it a step further that you know if somebody does come in for an STI checkup there should be a few other little ones added to card because it's it's one of the rare times you get hold of a bloke. Yeah. You know. Oh, in a, in a, off, a doctor's <laughs> yeah, office. Exactly. You know the kind of feeling. Okay, while we're just just while we're doing this, we take this, 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 and this. Or even do a little check for um, lumps or bumps in the walls. Absolutely, and that you know leads me on to the sense that even um, you know looking at a guy and you know checking the scrotum, when people go to um, an IVF clinic. The guy sits there and he may do the kind of, you know, wanking into a cup business. Yeah. And that is his semen analysis. And that that's is him done that's, for the day. That's him done for life. That's the Mona Lisa <laughs> up on the wall forevermore. My semen count from four years ago was fantastic. And it's kind of like that was like a selfie. <laughs> you know, it was five. It could have changed in 15 minutes time. Oh. But the other thing is that, you know, actually the physical, clinical, old fashioned yeah. sense of looking at the bits yeah. You know, what shape and length is the penis? Where is everything yeah. on it? Um, and the actual balls themselves, 
you know, the size of them, the weight of them, the density of yeah. them, the heft of them, the size. It, you know, it tells a lot it does, about yeah, I'm sure the it does. hormonal aspect. And guys have their f- trousers firmly cinched Belts. and women are legs akimbo <laughs> and it's kind of like bring on, you know, tickets only. So I do think that, um, you know, guys to get used to the sense of checking regularly, testicular cancer is yeah. treatable. But oftentimes, you know, and I have met so many, so many clients over the years, it's been left because they kind of thought, ah, sure, well, it might, you know, the usual ostrich yeah, thing, yeah. it might go away. Or be too embarrassed turn it off and turn it back on again. <laughs> so, yeah, get to know your bits. What are they like normally? Do they change? You know, is Because if you don't know them normally, when there's a change, you won't notice the shift. Exactly. I think people are it's like breast, breast checks you know women it's kind of oftentimes their partners women in kind of sense of I couldn't actually touch my own breasts and really yeah 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 um, maybe it's kind of generational as well but the sense of know your breasts know your body yeah. um, and you know the, the kind of feeling of you know this brings me on to actual libido it's one thing when you're kind of firing around as uh, a young person, loads of new relationships. It's all exciting. But getting into stages of slightly more long term relationships and, you know, pennies in the jar. You've heard of that, haven't you? No. Pennies in the jar. OK, so we have a jar here and okay. we have coins or you could have miraculous medals. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, but every time you have sex, if you, every time you do the deed, you pop a coin into this jar okay. for the first two years of a relationship. The jar is filling, 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 <laughs> filling, filling, isn't it? It's filling big time. <laughs> And then at the end of two years, you start taking out a coin for every time you do the deed. The sad thing is, apparently, you're never going to empty that job. (laughs) So libido in a relationship over time kind of takes a hit. So from my perspective, I'm all about keeping things alive, Mm. keeping it fun, keeping it healthy, keeping it, you know, variety, exploration and all of that. And if that is not happening, the sense of, you know, the, the medical assist our hormone levels okay mm. you know what could be in the way of people really feeling good about themselves so you know i think in the college years you'll kind of find um a sense of if you're wildly active if you're exuberantly yeah. active if you're kind of well i'd actually prefer to be in the library or something you know what i mean you kind of find your you can own do it in the library well why not indeed <laughs> <laughs> mind you the libraries are so jammers you know it's like in our university library people often like there's a kind of unwritten rule that people are always going to the library dressed up or looking their best especially in exam season because they know people are going to be there and they'll see them looking brilliant and then they'll like kind of probably look them up on social media and then next night out they're like how are you? Oh, brilliant. I love it. I thought that being in the library was something being an incredibly boring nerd. <laughs> oh, no, definitely not. And then you can text your friend and be like... There's an awful lot of activity of texting. I, I did a, a master's. I just finished it two years ago to kind of tie everything together, together yeah. you know. And it was ba- obviously fertility related. But the activity in the library was, I think, minimally academic in DCU. Bless them. And there was all these wonderful people upstairs quietly who can help you. And all the students were downstairs socializing and doing stuff. But yeah, certainly. So I think finding out, you know, what you're, you know, it's about knowing yourself. Yeah. The feeling of are you, you know, hypersexualized? What's that about? Are you kind of fairly humdrum? Um, What are you like in a relationship? The more knowledge you have about yourself, the better. Definitely. Helena. One quote or lesson you live by? The one that I apply to my work is the Abe Lincoln one. And it really is very, very simple. It's the one I think it goes like, if I had a week to cut down a tree, (laughs) I would spend six days sharpening thou (laughs) And I guess, you know, this is what all of my work, helping people to achieve pregnancy more easily and quicker when they want to is prep, prep and more prep and simple changes. So yeah, if you have your work done, you can have people. Well, it, you know, the kind of feeling of sometimes I have people and they'll have they'll be carrying weight. They're not as active as they were. They they don't go to bed mm. till one o'clock every morning. They kind of um, it's a total Netflix. Then I'll have other people who are amazingly switched on and they're you know, they're doing everything by the book and they're incredibly intense. So it is about balancing the mind and the body, the mindset, the body health 
and the health of the couple and the health of each individual and all of that. Yeah, so again, all the cogs kind of. Yeah, in that's it. That's it. All the cogs. I like that yeah. one. And great Abe Lincoln impression. <laughs> um, Alita, one guilty pleasure. One guilty pleasure. I absolutely love film. Film. Yes, exactly. Film. Um, well, I'd say f- I'd, I'd say film. I had to say, I had to say that. You're vulgar, like. I had to. Oh, no, sure. I don't. I'm. I'm in the Midlands too, but I had to. Um, I had to kind of, you know, think to say it because it's always been film. Uh, films to me. But, you know, film in the day, during the day, oh, IFI, yeah. oh, like the lighthouse. All day. And of course, my ultimate guilty pleasure is, was, until now, there is a documentary film festival in Kells in County Mead. Oh, yeah. It's called Guth Gaffa. Oh, and it is an entire long weekend of nothing but documentaries from around the world. Oh, and they're shown this old boarding school. It's like a Hogwarts of a boarding school. Class. Oh, yeah, Kells. Yeah, the head for it school. And they would have, um, you know, these film cinema trucks and oh, yeah. marquees. And there's The Hangar, which is a giant freezing cold barn. And they give you rugs. And oh, it's magical. It absolutely, yeah, you know, the atmosphere. Like and you get to talk to directors and producers yeah. and you get into different worlds and the quality is amazing. It, it just, it blows me Do away every like time. you have like a favourite film? Is a favourite film? Oh, I would actually, this is guiltily mortifying, <laughs> but I do love the original Dr. Zhivago. <gasps> Oh, David yeah. Lean's photography was unbelievable. The musical score was incredible. Some of the do- some of the script was oh, a bit stash. dodgy. Oh well, you know. Stash. Hot under the collar. <laughs> Who can resist a seventies porn star stash? Magnum PI, if you're like. Magnum PI, yes. And uh, Professor Robert Winston, who is the guru uh, of uh, IVF. <clears throat> Oh. Still on the go with the Tash, looking amazing at the age of 84. Stunning. And giving great I think it, information. It's coming back, the Tash. Is it? Yeah. Really? Yeah, people oh. are, it's coming back. Nothing like a bit of facial hair, because when you think of it, you know, shaving facial hair is about keeping yourself in a juvenile look, isn't it? Yeah. Like, oh, you know, no the uh, Robert, Robert Sapolsky. This is me who shaved last night. <laughs> and look so, you'd see it well, don't you? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, have to impress really. <laughs> well, you look great and you look very fresh and bright on it, yeah, so. So, film, that's a good one. Um, Helena, finally, one song that makes you dance. Well, it's not actually WAP at the moment, much to my surprise. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> I'm... I thought it might be. I thought it might be. Do and you not it's... enjoy it, no? Um, I I explored, I, I watched and listened to all the various um, editions of it, the full, proper, raw one. And it's kind of like, OK, it has potential and it could have been done in different ways and it might have been kind of a... You know, very engaging. Um, so, no, it it didn't really totally. I kind of sort of could like the idea. Yeah. I find it hilariously funny. And it is a little bit catchy. And um, I have to re-listen to get the full benefit of the lyrics. Of the lyrics, yeah, really, really In-depth poetry of the lyrics and all of that. You should see me mopping in work. I'm like, get yeah. a bucket It'll and never, a mop. Because I actually was, I was I was washing the floor yesterday and I slung the bucket on the floor. It was like, yeah. <laughs> did you, I did the full tip, real deal. Tip the bucket over your I, I was kind of like, this will be out the front door in a moment. Um, <laughs> the neighbours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it, you know, the sense of, it's an interesting one because lubrication is an issue uh, for people, you know, yeah. on hormonal um, therapies for fertility. It is an issue postnatally, perimenopausally, menopause. And, you know, people are talking much more about vaginal moisturisation, oh, uh, which is good. So there you go. But I tell you, my song that I love at the moment is uh, Bella Ciao. Uh, oh, like, yeah, that one. <laughs> that one, yeah. I love it, yeah. And um, actually, you know, the Social Fabric uh, podcast, Andrea, um, I was on with him and I, of course I was, you know, the series was so good. I just loved yeah. that series, uh, La Casa de Papel, yeah. uh, The Money Heist. And um, anyway, he's Italian and I was asking him about it and he said, oh, my grandfather was a partigiano. 
and my grandmother used to sing me the song. So he got his guitar and he did the no most amazing version of it. Oh, beautiful, in beautiful. person and everything. Um, well, he uploaded it uh, oh. to to YouTube, well, which he didn't post it, but it was absolutely brilliant. So I, I just think you know, it's it's a very emotive song. And there's a nice move. There's a million songs. Yeah. I mean, I do love music. Yeah, and I think, you know, style. using it to change a mood, if you're kind of going cleaning a house to put on something really yeah. lively, you know, it really can lift us. And, you know, even listening to music instead of, you know, the constant stream of news, you know, at and the Netflix. moment is kind of like, oh, yeah, exactly. That uh, it, it's great. And I think... You know, audio is making such a comeback and these podcasts are yeah. wonderful. And even, you know, the identity of each podcast with its, something different, its yeah. jingle or whatever, yeah. and you get the associated the Pavlovian reflex. <laughs> it's really yeah. good, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah, I love that song as well and it definitely would make me dance, me being a mover and a shaker. Um, are you ready Excellent. for your quick fire questions, Selena? Um, these are quite five questions you don't, so we're firing through them so okay. as quick as you can well right. we, we'll give you a little bit of leniency um, Helena one book you love um, I love a book and it is um, a, it's about and the name is now Escaping Me which is a killer because um, I'm actually reading Why We Get Sick by uh, a wonderful professor Berkman at the moment Benjamin Berkman but I think there's one that it, it reflects back and it is um, by a Swedish guy and it's set in 1817. It's about actually he's, he goes through two epidemics, uh, typhoid epidemics as a doctor. And Axel Muntha is the author and it is about the, it's called The Story of San Michele, which is the top of the island of Capri. Oh, yeah, he yeah. restored a villa. Tiberius, he pulled statues from the sea that the locals had fecked into the sea. But the story of his life, his training as a doctor in Paris, working in Rome, going through the uh, epidemics, I think really ties together now yeah. what it's like. Well, it's the, like. But the amount of raw death and dying, which we're not actually experiencing, we're getting the fear factor now. Yeah. But the actual, it, it's a most amazingly allegorical and interesting book, and I love it. May stick it on my Amazon list. Um, Helena, one person who you turn to for advice? I actually ask my daughter for advice. She is very wise, very switched on. She's very young, and she is amazing for, again, all the kind of techie aspects as well, but yeah. so many other things. Yeah. And she's, she's really, she's amazing. So, yeah, I, I, I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, Helena, one happy place. Happy place. I know it's so unbelievably cliche. So the place I grew up, the place I miss, you know, practically on a daily basis is... Kalini Beach. I grew up and that was my oh, back was garden. There. I was there only one, two weeks ago. Yeah, oh, stunning, isn't it? It's just, you know, to, to wake up in the morning and to see whether it's a diamondy yeah. sea glittering that it's going to be a heat wave at night time to see an inky dark moon, yeah. sea and a moonlight going. I mean, it is so it is beautiful. beautiful. Think, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that is a place I love. Um, one dinner you never get sick of. Oh, I like sloppy dinners. So sloppy dinners are, you know, the sense of variance of oh, curries, yeah, just, just, you know, with brown rice or noodles. And I go to the mosque, I go to the mosque in, um, where is it, you know, the big mosque, to get my brown rice. Oh, but really? the only trouble is all of this war in the Middle East has really, uh, my, my brown rice supplies uh, have got Hello. tough. But they have an amazing shop of great, you know, Middle Eastern food that's subsidised. So I love, I'm a crap cook. I love eating. Yeah. And uh, I never get sick of, of a, a variant of a curry. Yeah, well, a curry's a great choice. And finally, one celebrity crush. Celebrity crush. Uh, well, I don't know if he's actually a celebrity crush, but in my world he is, and that's uh, Professor Lord Robert Winston. Um, <laughs> he actually he's done a lot of media work and uh, he's absolutely divine and he's a font of knowledge and great common sense you know he's yeah, very I much think, like um, intelligence and ambition is quite attractive yeah he's and... he's been around a really long time he has adapted to each stage you know the origin kind of radio stuff into mm. tv he's uh, now doing webinars oh, yes. and you know the kind of the balance of sensible saying that you know things like IVF should only cost about 500 sterling mm. that our costs are wildly inflated and you know keeping it simple um, just 
lovely guy and uh, very easy on the eye and a great a great voice. I love really yeah. really good voices. Um, that's that wraps it up for us. But as with every guest on one on one, Helena, one question for me. Well, the question for you is. I see, and having spoken to others, um, you know, at the time I was coming on this podcast and people saying, oh, yeah, yeah, great, you know, Carl's a great guy, we're doing totally together, and a rising star, uh, a bright shining star is how you're described, so um, that's not just me saying it, but I do, I'm interested to know, um, I think your background is very interesting, even like your home life, how it all feeds into how you are with people. Yeah. You're a natural extrovert and a people person. Um, and you may have quite an introverted side as well, which gives the reflect, reflective nature. But I'm really curious as to how you see your trajectory or where you'd like to be at. Um, I know we mentioned earlier on and somebody that I admire greatly is Graham Norton. Um, and that level of I think the interest you have in people for themselves is incredibly perspicacious. Yeah, well, I was always kind of told, even by lectures and stuff, they think I love being dressed because I love telling someone something they've never heard before. You know, that kind of idea of being like, I have the gossip, I have the news. So I kind of get a kick out of that. And I suppose hearing other people's stories in the likes of Graham Norton, I'd love to, you know, TV is probably a long shot, but even podcast stuff like this, I'd love to have a radio show, TV show, something like that. Be very successful and just be happy and living in Ireland because I always said I'd love to move to the UK, I'd love to move to the UK. But I found a new kind of sense of love for our little island and I'd love to be living here and successful. That's wonderful and I wish you well with that because I do think that we really need an influx of young presenters and, you know, people with their own shows mm, to reflect, but, you know, there's a really, you know, a kind of a whole fresh thing. We've got very, very, very static and very yeah. um, stuck and people seem to hold on to positions for donkey's years. There's a new influx of them. Helena Tubbery, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on One on One. Where can people find you if they want to get in touch? OK, so I'm on Instagram and um, I also do, you know, quick free discovery calls people can have a chat with me and uh, you know my website I have fresh blogs up helenatoberty.com those are the main areas my thanks to Helena Toberty for coming in today if you like this podcast like it review it and rate it this podcast is brought to you by Collaborative Studios ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.